So we recorded this episode on the day of Saeed Jones's book launch, which was October 7th. His book is out now wherever you buy books, so definitely pick up a copy. We hope you'll help us celebrate his Libra book, even though it's now Scorpio season. Hope you enjoy it. This is Saeed Jones reading Lucille Clifton's Won't You Celebrate With Me. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay. My one hand holding tight, my other hand. Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. I'm Alex. And I'm Dorothea. And today we have a very special guest with us, um, Saeed Jones, fellow Hello. Sagittarius, <laughs> who I feel like I've known forever. Yeah. For a long time. I was, I was thinking this morning, I think we met, at least when I, I think we were both still in graduate school. We were. I was at Rutgers Newark and you yeah. were at NYU. Sarah Lawrence. Sarah Lawrence. Yes. Ooh, girl. 2009. Dang. I, I That's so ago. many men ago. Oh, God. For you, maybe. Men maybe not for me. Maybe not for me. For me, it's like three men ago. Screaming. Screaming. <laughs> but um, I'm really happy to have you here. This and you have this incredible memoir out, How We Fight for Our Lives, out right now, right? Yeah. October. This is the day. Oh, my God. Oh my this God. is the day. Oh. Today yeah. is the day. Uh-huh. We're happy launching it. Thank you. Happy birthday to your book. We're launching you. it right here. We're launching yes. it right okay. here. Yeah. All I'm right. so excited. <laughs> and so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the poem a little bit, mm-hmm. then we're going to um, move and talk a little bit about your life and yeah. your move from New York to Ohio. So much to discuss. And in a way, <laughs> what a big Sagittarius move it that is. is. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, there it is. There <laughs> we go. Exactly. Classic, classic, if people yeah. didn't know that you were right. Sagittarius, now they, they know. know. Now. They know now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about the book okay. and sort of um, how you wrote it, mm-hmm. the story behind it, cool. um, what you want to share with people, what you want people to take away from it. Um, so let's get started. So why don't we start with Lucille Clifton? Um, yes. I picked this poem because not only do I think this is one of the best poems, best contemporary poems in the last 50, 100, 150 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. one of the best endings ever, mm. but I thought about this poem so much thinking about your book. Mm. Um, and I was wondering, what does Lucille Clifton mean to you? I mean, you know, one, I'm I'm grateful that when I was a younger poet, um, I would I was still around when when Lucille Clifton was around towards the end of her life, uh, yeah. and her legacy is such that you can almost forget that she was once just a normal person, mm-hmm. you know, eating breakfast and and you know reading the newspaper. Like all of us, yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 this poem, it it has, I think the like my my one hand holding tight my other hand, and this idea of. Uh, celebration and peril. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's throughout the, it is a joyful poem, but it's also a very clear-eyed poem about the stakes, mm-hmm. you know, on this bridge. And um yeah, I think that is true for all of us whether we know it or not, we are hand in hand with survival and and and, and joy. Um and it's in the poem as well. And I've always loved it because because of its 
brevity, it's all there at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned, I don't know if we mentioned while we were recording, but Lucille Clifton's a cancer, right? Yes, she is. So with I a Libra moon. With a Libra moon. So mm. there's like some cerebral stuff going mm. on there. But in the, you know, in the cancerness, I feel like there's that kindness, like we were mm. talking about, like the joy of mm. people or something Being like that. Her. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a kind of kindness, I feel like, in this poem and a lot of her poetry mm-hmm. in a way. But also, she's also very fierce. You know her mm-hmm. poem about cockroaches? Well, yes. you know that one? Oh, well, my God. And I was thinking fierce. the, what, uh, yeah. um, the one where she's like wishing uh, minstrel cramps on her son. Yes. <laughs> and what was it like? Like you know, running and then there's no Seven Eleven around. To, you know, like I just or, or the the poem where she like the, my dream about waking up white. Yes. You know, it, it's I, the image in my mind when I'm reading her her work is of Lucille Miss Lucille Clifton, mm-hmm. um, like Miss Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. smiling. And it's it's a joy that when I was younger, um, I really didn't appreciate. I used to think that people who were happy and smiling, that surely they weren't mm. as keen or tough or, like you said, fierce. Mm. But you th- with Lucille, you see that, ha that's that kind of like hard worn, like, don't you fuck with me. Yeah. yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and I've just really come to appreciate uh, the joy, the wit, but you always know where it comes from, both non-woman and white. What mm. did I see to be except myself? Like, mm. you know, like... Wow, that smile is earned. Yeah, I think that anybody who has had to struggle for their place in the world in any way can really be uplifted by Lucille Clifton's work. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, you know, we relate to it in very different ways, but I mean, I have found so much strength in Lucille Clifton's work just because... I know uh, you can feel the fight in it, Mm -hmm. the joy, but Mm -hmm. also the fight, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that's really hard to capture in poetry, too. You were talking about how you didn't have an appreciation for people who smiled. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an appreciation for poets who um, tried to write about joy or capture joy. Mm -hmm. But Lucille Clifton does Mm -hmm. have this joy that she uh, she infuses in her poems. And I think it's a joy for people, but also for being alive. Because she knows that it, she doesn't take it for granted, right? And I think there's a difference between joy that's just like vapid or right. whatever, or doing mm-hmm. it because you're supposed to, mm-hmm. and like joy that's about after having survived. Right. I mean, that's I love the way you read the poem, and I love those last two lines so much. You know, and mm-hmm. the way you read it, like something has tried to kill me and has failed. You mm-hmm. know, and that that kind of joy of like a victor, like mm-hmm. a victory, is mm-hmm. just like such a a deep thing. I mean, I I think I guess it's like it's like joy. Joy and maybe ease. You know, like often when people are like, I'm joyful, I'm happy. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you're not. You're just at ease. You're comfortable, yeah. which is good. Ooh, but that's yeah, not the same thing. That's really good. Um, because yeah. joy to me is, and I'm thinking of Ross Gay's The Book of Delights. where I he love just, that book. You know, he wrote about a delight he discovered every single day for a year. And I'm starting mm. a, a newsletter where I want to do mm. the same thing, like about oh, honey. Oh, can I subscribe? I discovered, yeah. Yes, girl. Yeah. It's, called <laughs> the, it's called The Intelligence of Honey. And it's a, it's a similar thing. <laughs> and I think what it is is like joy or that delight is rooted an appreciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because ease, yeah. you know, it's just like, it's you know, just coming what, to you. yeah, I mean, Everything. look at all the privilege just being, you know, um, an American, you know, the ease and really we are standing on all kinds of people's necks. <laughs> we always have, you know, them. and yeah. always have. And so the ease can have, ease has afforded a kind of cluelessness Mm -hmm. you know that joy isn't joy is like I'm happy and I know why maybe that's it It and appreciation appreciation takes time you Mm -hmm. have to be able to endure it and Mm -hmm. that's like something that how many people have the ability to do that Mm -hmm. I mean I don't I feel like I have so little time day to day like how could anyone appreciate Mm -hmm. like their walk to work Mm -hmm. or eating an apple I mean it's just it's almost like the system itself takes time away from you Mm -hmm. well because 
because I'm a conspiracy theorist, I really believe, (laughs) (laughs) I believe like not letting us appreciate things or having deep joy is part of the plan to Mm. kind of keep us subservient and Mm. keep us, you know, not looking at the walk. Mm Because if we looked at the walk, we probably wouldn't, you know, show up Mm -hmm. to the thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's like there's a lot of, as we know, like systematic and systemic purpose to make us not want to have any Uh real joy. It's it's so interesting you say that because um, I believe Lucille Clifton is most associated with like Maryland, mm-hmm. and right now I Saint Mary's, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm listening to via audiobooks. I'm reading via audiobook the second time. Isabel Wilkerson's incredible book, The Warmth of Other Suns, mm-hmm. which is about the Great Migration. Mm-hmm. You should read it if you haven't. Mm-hmm. It's just it's. It's life changing. Mm-hmm. Truly, she she interviewed hundreds of people. You know, all kinds of primary documents. But the book focuses on three old black people who end up one in L.A. I think one in like Detroit or Chicago, and one in New York and Harlem. And so the book kind of goes narrow, and it'll be like you know, so and so was pregnant, and this was what mm-hmm. that meant to be a pregnant like young a woman in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and I think it's actually being turned into something oh, by nice. Shonda Rhimes. And then it opens up, you know, brief, and then it'll go in and then go out and go in. And um, I think. Like what you're saying, the system you you see over the course of the book when she's going through, and she refers to Jim Crow as a caste system. She refers to black people like I'm sure Lucy Clifton's family that was probably started in the South and then made its way to the Maryland mm-hmm. area um, as refugees. And she published this book. Uh, it was published, I think, like in maybe 2010 or mm. 2009. Mm-hmm. So you know that oh. the way that this language is resonating with what's going on now is like interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you see how the caste system of Jim. Crow distracted people certainly from joy and also just from dreaming you know it it takes so So much work you know and and everyone's like a a conspiracy theorist everyone's not like holding hands and yeah 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 everyone together people are like um snitching on one another to the white police and everything to 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 get just a little bit more More power yeah turning on each other so yeah i think you're absolutely right yeah we're so vulnerable when we're distanced from that that joy that appreciation well that's something that the systems of power want us they Mm -hmm. want us to Right. To distance ourselves from one another. The Mm -hmm. only way we can topple them is if we actually come together. But we're not going to do that because we're all sort of I mean, I hope we do that. But we're not doing that because we're all sort of hoping to inch our way closer and closer to that top rung. And those people are like, well, you're never going to get here. But it's really great that you guys are fighting. Yeah, we'll never get to the top rung. But the biggest thing is they want to not let us have an imagination. Mm -hmm. And that's what Lucille Clifton, you know, allows us to have. She's Mm -hmm. saying everybody's imagination is valid. And you have to protect that and that's the gift you know she's giving us because as long as we all keep our own sense of our imaginations Mm. we will keep pushing against what they're trying to take away I think I love that So um, our next segment, we're going to talk about um, our usual birth chart segment. We're going to talk about Saeed's birth chart and also uh, probably a decision that was influenced by his placements, which is his um, move from New York, where he lived for a very long time, where I met him mm-hmm. a decade ago, um, from his move from New York to Ohio, Columbus. Yeah. Right? No me. A Midwesterner, darling. I can't even believe it. I look at Saeed. I look at your Instagram photos now, and I literally am like, is he he really? I'm, I'm not. But um, is he really at a football game? Yes. Just 48 hours ago, I was at um, Ohio State's um, homecoming game, getting my life. Oh my getting god! My life. I own 
four different OSU shirts. I've been, and I should say, I've only been in Columbus Girl. for a month. I'm in, which is another thing. I mean, we can talk about like I don't, I don't halfway do things. You don't. Uh, but yeah, I, I've known and appreciated what it means um, to be a Sagittarius for some time. Yes, sometimes I remember maybe in college being like, oh, I'm a, and then reading about it, and I was like, huh, you know, my mom was a flight attendant. She worked for Delta. Um, I always understood the importance of travel and 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 the way it could take Black people from the South myself included, you can see the world in a different way. So I've always understood that. And I think when you understand uh, a quality about your sign and and if it resonates with you, you can invest your attention in it. And so I feel like my intuition for like, oh, a journey, there's a journey here. Um, I just trust it more. Like you said, like if people didn't know before that I was a Sagittarius (laughs) girl. We've got a rising Libra here. Oh my you God, know, his moon to- is in Taurus. That's know. why you're so stable. And that's oh why, my yeah, God. That's why, yeah, you wanted to I'm have... Like, why st- am I a well, different okay. Sagittarius? Yeah, no, because... <laughs> this motherfucker has a Taurus moon. <laughs> yeah, that's why I really, really like you because I feel the Taurus moon. My moon's in Scorpio, so mm-hmm. I feel like the... Yeah, I feel like the stability is Well, it also makes nice. you really tough because yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like Tauruses don't relent and that's part they of... Don't. That's part and of your thing. It's so funny because... When I saw that you moved to Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio, I wasn't surprised. Mm-hmm. Why well, I say I'm not jealous is I'm from the Midwest and I'll never go back there. Right. However, and I feel that way about Texas. I'm like, mm-mm, boo. However, where, where I was, the, the pang in me where I recognized you and Sagittarians immediately was in that decision because mm-hmm. I knew. I mean, the fact that you just did that and you had an amazing life here. Mm-hmm. Everybody here knew you and, and still knows you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, there was so much energy around you. And I, would be if you decide to come back. Of course. Yeah. Sure, yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. But I think the thing that I read that that and, and that Morgan Parker, a friend, did yeah. too by moving mm-hmm. to California, another Sagittarius, another Sagittarius, mm-hmm. is that we know when to leave the party mm-hmm. so as to sort of protect our own party, yeah. which is like yeah. the internal world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, why did you move to Ohio? What's funny is I think when you make the right decision for you, big right decisions, if you're lucky, you get to act upon them. And then it's confirmed again and again. Mm -hmm. So I feel like every day I have another reason. I think, you know, the short practical, you know, um, I basically have been living in the New York City area for about 10 years. You know, it was like I'd been here long enough. I've been working in, in media online for six years at that point. And I was like, One, I felt that I had accomplished my mission. And so I just, you know, I felt like I'd done the work. And as we always talk about, you know, like you're saying, like, America is hitting us hard every day. It has hidden some of us harder than others. And I was just starting to feel like I need to find a way to have a more sustainable life. And, you know, I feel privileged. I have the joy and appreciation (laughs) of knowing where I am in my career. And I knew that I was at the point where I couldn't count on a lot of things for sure. We don't know, you know, but I know that I'm at the point where I can afford to not live in New York City as a writer. One, it's more affordable, but also in terms of context, I didn't think people were going to forget about me. I didn't think, you know, creative opportunities were going to dry up Mm. just because I can't walk into McNally Jackson tonight for an event or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think if you 
have the fortune of identifying a solution to what ails you, mm-hmm. if you have the fortune of acting upon that solution, you know, everybody can't just drop everything and move. And I mm-hmm. get that. Everybody can't just quit their job and be like, I'll figure it out. I understand mm-hmm. that's a fortune, you know, but if you can, I think you should because, because like with Lucille Clemson, doesn't it feel like the world is about to end? Yes, doesn't it does. It? And I just remember like sitting at my desk and being really unhappy and being like, you know, at some point, I have to own my unhappiness. Maybe it's the city. Maybe it's the job. Maybe the city and job are reflecting my unhappiness back to me. But all I know is if I look out this damn window here in Manhattan and I see the mushroom cloud and I realize that six months ago I could have made a decision to have, I don't know, six six blissful you know <laughs> months before all hell broke <laughs> loose, I'm going to be really mad before I'm turned to ash. Yeah. You know, like that, <laughs> totally. that's just how I felt like yeah. we've got to do it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Saeed about his new book. Stay tuned. So we're back from the break, and here we are. We're going to interview Saeed about his great new book. Hi. Here we go. (laughs) Saeed, um, this is, I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was... Very early, mm. when one of our first, um, we had had like a movie night or something, and oh, you, yeah, and you, we watched were, Still Magnolias. Yeah, we did, which is so gay. <laughs> and I remember it was like me, you, my friend Rachel, um, Angelo, mm-hmm. a bunch of other people that mm-hmm. I. I remember being in a diner afterwards and you telling maybe me or a few other people about this thing that had happened to you. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, I couldn't finish my food and I just kept looking at you. And I I just remember thinking, like, is this real life? And Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe this was somebody's real life. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't have much to say to you, I don't think, because I was so taken aback by the story. Mm -hmm. And... um, you clearly have turned your story and your entire life into this um, amazing book, which I think Thank is, in, in some ways, it was so beautiful reading it because it just sort of felt like this is the thing that human beings have the power to do mm. is to transform things that have happened to them mm-hmm. into something that is not only meaningful to them, but mm-hmm. to other people who may not even have gone through the same thing. But I just wanted to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about what was it like writing this book and um, how do you feel like you've survived almost something else having written it? Mm. Um, I mean, the, the second question is easier to answer because I don't feel like it was um, a matter of survival. I think I was just, as I was, it was hard work. It was always very daunting and like, am I going to be able to pull this off? How much longer is it going to take to like? Maybe I'll pull it off, but it'll be twenty more years from now, you know. Um, but I, I always just felt deeply grateful and privileged to have the opportunity to try to encapsulate um, my personal history and especially like painfully transformative experiences from my past into something that hopefully can be use of other people. You know, we all have these uh, painfully transformative experiences. Unfortunately, not. Many of us get the opportunity to have what we've learned, honored, cultivated, and then shared, you know, uh, and certainly not in book form. Um, So, yeah, so that was... 
uh, that was okay because I was like, you know, this is hard, but you know, you're you're lucky to be struggling in this way. Um, I, the event that that kind of started the book, um, the earliest iteration. Um, I went to school in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I my senior year, which this would have been uh, January January 2008, basically New Year's Day, uh, more or less. I, I went to a college party with some friends in Phoenix, Arizona. I knew some friends who were at ASU. And um, basically what happens that night, I was already a mess, as so many of us are by the end of college. And I think the the shame um, from, from racism and homophobia that I had been trying to deal with on my own for years by the time I even got to college metastasized. Mm-hmm. It was really just swallowing me whole. So at the beginning of that chapter in the book, I described myself as a, a bright black mess. That's just really what I felt, just loud and angry and sloppy and just kind of falling all over. And um, that night, I, I met this hot guy. Oh, he was so tall and like football player build and just like looked like he was cut out of stone. And I, I had a feeling that he was probably identified as straight, but that maybe wasn't the entire story. I think queer people were very good at finding our people, whether they know there are people or not. <laughs> sometimes that's used for good. Sometimes we're not. Um, and so I had that moment and I just knew, you know, yeah. I was going to go home with him one way or another. And we did. We went back to his apartment, which was a few apartments over from where we were. Um, And basically once we, as soon as we started having sex, I remember how eager he was. That was uh, detailed to me because I was like, straight guys like to protect Mm. their reputation by being like, oh, I don't know what's going. My dick is just in your mouth. Oh my God. You know, I was like, "Uh uh-uh. You know, he was very excited. And then like in snap of a finger, you know, I think a book I described as like a flashbulb kind of moment. He was hitting me. It happened Mm. so quickly and 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 that's just where the night went and we were just wrestling on the floor back and forth it felt biblical like like the guy who wrestles the angel that's kind of what it felt it was like the twilight hours the blue were you hours terrified at that point i wasn't i was i was really i mean one i was so drunk he was definitely blackout drunk i think like christine blasey ford like this is a very similar dynamic mm-hmm. this is indelible in the hippocampus of my oh, mind i don't think it is in his i would not have been surprised i would not be surprised if you put him on the stand today and he said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. You know what I mean? And and that's why when Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified in that conversation last year, it was really difficult for me mm. because I was like, oh, my God, the worst night of my life or one of them isn't even a memory for him. Mm. And that was devastating as I was working on the book. But, yeah, we wrestled. And I just remember he looked anguished. He looked aggrieved. I, you know, certainly there are there are people who are bullying and you know doing everything, and they're they look mean and they look like they're having fun. You know, yeah. they're terrorizing us and they're smiling it's and so ha insane. ha ha. Yeah. He was crying. He was. I'm, don't get me wrong. We were wrestling, and he was his body. He was so strong, and I remember being aware of you know what he was capable of, the muscle, you know, just the physics of it. But he was sobbing, and so I was just like, it's okay. It seemed like he had totally lost control mm. and was so afraid of what he had the the truth of himself that he had touched it was like hot to the it was like Icarus you know yeah. and this was him falling you know and I was the water he was falling into mm-hmm. kind of you know and so I just felt as drunk as I was you know just an intuitive compassion and he was like you know you're already dead you're already dead you're already dead he kept repeating oh, it and sometimes he'd be crying and sometimes he'd be laughing and I'd be like no I'm not <laughs> <laughs> you know and I was just like and I remember saying like you need to stop before you like I'm not we're okay you know but you need to stop before you do something you regret for the rest of your life and I think 
the only reason I was able to intuitively so quickly reach that compassion is because I recognized his anguish in myself. And it was so unexpected that, you know, someone seemingly literally antithetical to me that I would identify with. But I think we have these moments. The thing about violence whether that's language or action, the thing about violence is that it is very honest. And I felt I saw his true face. Um, it was like looking into a mirror, and he ba- basically passed out eventually. I tried to get him water. Is that and, how you got out of there? Yeah, he just wore himself out, you know, and he just, and you know, when people, <laughs> when people are passed out, they're very heavy. Um, and so I remember what it just felt like to have someone that tall just collapse on top of me and literally kind of shove him off to the side, you know, and I went and got water. I remember the sound of his body hitting the wood floor, you know, it was just like, gosh. Um, And I remember standing over him and thinking like, he looks so sad and vulnerable, this poor, poor man. And yet he had tried to just kill you. He had tried to kill me. And it was, you know, and and I think that speaks, you know, this is not all, you know, my wise sage on the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. Like it also like speaks to how little I valued my own life at the time. I was very ambivalent about the value of my life. So I think it betrays uh, and, and communicates like a lack of of, of self-worth, mm. you know? And so it's so meaningful that that combination, my own ongoing shame, um, my lack of value, and then the the brutal honesty of what he exposed in himself. And, you know, clearly this was supposed to happen. I believe we are sent here by whoever or whatever we're sent here to do something. I needed to go into that room and I needed to come out and share what I learned. And also write this book. And I think that's the thing. I mean, you're, you're an incredible poet. And I think one thing that really shows through in the book is your lyricism. Mm -hmm. You have an incredible way of sort of putting that out there in a way that, um, you know, that is just like, it hits you like right Mm -hmm. here. And I think that has to do with the fact that a lot of us don't have the tools, Mm -hmm. um, like language or otherwise Mm -hmm. to investigate those, those parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's why it's so powerful. And me, someone who works with language, I still reading your book, I just felt that you'd interrogated something within yourself Mm -hmm. that was even larger than the thing that you were sort of the the sky. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you know, it's, it's so, I felt like as I was working on the book, whenever I would start to doubt the book's potential to be of use or to resonate with readers, you know, it would be like I'd wake up and it was like the South uh, Carolina church shooting or the Pulse nightclub shooting. My goodness. My goodness. You know, and so it was like whenever I was like, not like are people going to care, but is this going to be of use to people? And it just it feels like and I I, I obviously don't want to write work that is didactic or like propaganda, but I I do feel, especially in the last few years, a need to constantly ask myself as an artist, am I doing this for myself? Why? Or am I doing this for other people? How? You know? Um, And that's the goal. That is a great question to ask. And it's one that I ask myself, too. But there is this thing that that you also invite your reader to interrogate their own life, maybe in that way, because you've done it, Mm -hmm. because you've sort of set that path. Thank you. 
Yeah, and I mean, thinking about, you know, you're describing like the anguish on his face mm. and seeing yourself in that, mm. I feel like that's related to all of this that we're talking about mm. and our interconnectedness mm. is how we create literature, you know, to hold up a mirror mm. and to see, you know, how much we can see ourselves in, in these um, stories or mm. whatever, even if it's somebody that like seemingly is different. Right. We were able to see like the reflection and the interconnectedness. Well, that's why we need poets. I mean, say, a poet like that's why I just kept thinking that throughout the whole book I'm like mm. of course he understands this idea yeah. that like there is no necessarily defined other mm-hmm. like the way that you can see that anguish mm-hmm. and the fact that I mean I think that that's something that America has a really hard time understanding mm-hmm. that we literally all have to work together in some way because like the three people at the top they just don't want any of us to succeed yeah Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you know not to be cheesy but in a way this is like why I think astrology is relevant and beautiful Mm. um, is because you know we're all being reborn from our ancestors constantly so we're identifying sadness in your like life now and Mm -hmm. you know I'm identifying an Ariesness or whatever but we're all going to sort of be reborn Mm. you know even if you don't believe in reincarnation proper mm. we're all part of like a fabric right. of these star stellar identities so we can see mirrors in each mm-hmm. other even if we're not that mm-hmm. person in this life or yeah, something i mean i i think you know one this awareness um you know writing a book does not mean the story's over you know we, we don't get to close the chapter on a dynamic and say well i've learned that it's mm-hmm. the past mm-hmm. you know and you see in the book actually i keep trying to do that like well i'm over you, that you and then, you know and, and, and america says bitch no you're not uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice try but you know you know it's it's ongoing and so even in working on telling my story it's we when when i sold the book it was going to be how men fight for their mm. lives um you know and, oh, and wow. focusing focusing more tightly on on um you know masculinity and and queer men's relationship to and certainly there is a lot there. I'm not going to act like you know that's a shallow subject matter. Um, but I remember having this anxiety that eventually my editor John Cox identified at the like men not the only ones fighting you know and my mom is a part of this book my grandmother is a part of this book you 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 see other people who are fighting too and i I think it is important for all of us you know queer men in particular something we always need to be aware of are the ways in which we are recreating misogyny (laughs) trans misogyny i think we often have a tendency to go well we've had it so hard and we have i'm not gonna act like girl (laughs) it's not a struggle right (laughs) um but that does not mean um that we are allowed um, or have the right to close ourselves off to what this means for other people, mm-hmm. you know, particularly women, trans people, non-binary people who, you know, have it even harder, you know. And and so that was also for me one of the lessons of the book. How can I tell my story? I need to do the work. I know what happened to me is significant mm-hmm. and of value, right? But how can I do so while also honoring and at least, you know, nodding to what's happening alongside mm-hmm. me? Even as, as a black gay man, everything I take on, I, I'm still privileged. There are still a lot of things protecting me that aren't protecting other people. And I feel like working on the book and trying to do not just an artistic job, but like an artistically ethical job 
and the rigor of that helped me understand it. Yeah. And I'll just say, I know people use this um, term a lot and it's like kind of gets annoying sometimes when people use it about being brave. Mm. But I think you've been so brave in creating this and like, I'm getting really cheesy here. I don't know. It's not, you're not. But just like you're the not. like, you don't know the ripples mm. of how this is going to like help someone in the mm. future. And, you know, none of us know when we create things. So, so I think, yeah, thank you thank so you. much for being so brave and thank doing you. that for we you know, all these people. You yeah. Appreciate yeah. It. Yeah. We love Love you. This You're so funny. wonderful. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I mean, I everybody still tells good you to that. Hear it. Still good to hear it. <laughs> so, um, Saeed's book, uh, we talked about it, comes out mm. today. Um, yeah. How We Fight for Our Lives. And Saeed, where can we find the book? You can buy the, find the book wherever books are sold. It's available as an audiobook. You can walk to a bookstore. You can certainly buy it from indie booksellers online or, you know, whatever works for you. And, you know, one, this is like good for me, but I do sincerely say this about books I love, like like The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson, but I would like to believe this is a book you want to buy two copies of. <laughs> because when a book is really mm-hmm. of use, you don't want to have the experience by yourself. You're mm-hmm. going to want, I think, to talk to somebody about mm-hmm. it. And trust me, girl, I know what happens. <laughs> You're going to want to talk to somebody <laughs> yeah. about it. So, Definitely. You know, and it's the holidays, so it's yeah. a perfect yeah, gift. Yeah, it's a Ooh, perfect gift. Okay. Yeah, yes. yeah. Thanksgiving, it's a great thing to have around true. the Thanksgiving am, table. Uh, honor buy it honor for the, the Sagittariuses in your life. We do love a gift. You Wait. have Libra rising, so okay. might as well give it to all the Libras and okay. it's Libra season now. I so, love it. Yeah. Oh man, we, the range. The, the range. range. Really, you could give his book to anybody. And Scorpios will love this book. Oh, they really yeah. will. It's intense. Yeah. They really yeah. will. And yeah. Capricorns, you know, well, <laughs> they can buy it themselves. They, they, they can afford it. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 okay. they already know like the promo code. Let them buy it themselves. We want to thank Saeed once more for coming on the show. This podcast is hosted by me, Alex Dimitrov. And me, Dorothy Alasky. It's produced by Becky Celestina. If you like it, subscribe and rate us on your podcast app. You can buy our book, um, Astropodes, Your Guides to the Zodiac, using the link in our show notes. It's out now. You can also go to astropoetsbook.com for more info. And definitely follow us on Twitter. We're Poet Astrologers on there. For more information about Macmillan's other shows, go to macmillanpodcast.com. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N podcast.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks. Just as some cultures have a hundred words for snow, there should be a hundred words in our language for all the ways a black boy can lie awake at night.